You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now he was happy. Oh, I can earn it. Oh, good. I got this. You know, I can go out and kill some guys and come home and be accepted into the family. You know, sometimes we're tempted to think like this. Like, it can't be that, the gospel can't be that easy. Just to have faith and, and believe and go, oh, you want to accept me into your family, Lord? Okay, I receive it. And yes, there's a price to pay. Jesus paid it. And so we can take the worthiness of Jesus upon ourselves and we can step into the family of God because of what Jesus did for us. And the invitation's there. It's not just an invitation, it's a command. Jesus says, come unto me. He commands us to. But it is our choice, and in that way, it's an invitation. And so let's choose today, if we haven't already, to be a part of the family of God by His grace. And if we're trying to earn that, let's stop trying to earn it. You're worthy because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for you. And so David is excited that he can go out and just kill Philistines to earn this. And so it says in verse 27, Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as wife. So David goes above and beyond, and God actually blesses his endeavor to show Saul my favors upon David, and whatever your schemes and your plans are, they're not going to work. They're actually only going to serve to further God's plan and to bring David into an even better position. And so he becomes uh, married into the king's family, uh, making him even closer to the throne than he was before. Now, the Bible tells us that when David later in life wanted to build a temple for the Lord, God said, no, but your son will do it. Uh, and the reason he told him no is because he had too much blood on his hands. And this is an example in the life of David, and there are many, where there was just too much blood on his hands. He had killed too many people and quite happily did so. Verse 28 Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So we see a progression of fear happening. This fear that Saul had that David would come and usurp his throne was growing stronger and stronger in Saul and he was becoming more and more desperate 
But the Bible says, do not fret, it only leads to harm. And so as Saul is worried because he doesn't want to let go of what God has already taken from him, his mind is becoming more and more polluted and more and more evil and more and more obsessive about this thing. Guys, it's important to let go of what God wants to remove from you. It's important. It's important to let go of addictions. It's important to let go of whatever you might be holding on to, you know? The house. I can't lose the house. My idol becomes the house. Whatever happens in life, I can't lose the house, and I'm willing to do whatever, any means possible, to keep the house. And God says, why don't you let go of the house? I've got five more that could be yours. I'm not saying that you'll get five houses if you let go of the one. But I'm just saying that God, he's got provision beyond provision. Whether you're owning or you're renting or whatever. And so, yes, you know, we work hard, we provide for our families, but when it's time to let go, you just let go and trust God. Believe him for miracles and receive the peace. Saul's not letting go, and he's holding on tighter and tighter, and it's, it's his demise as his fear grows. And then it says in the middle of verse 29, so Saul became David's enemy continually, continually. This is like the devil towards Jesus and Christians, and God and his people. The devil is an enemy continually relentlessly. Verse 30, then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So we see in David a progression of wisdom and of acceptance and of favor as he puts his trust in the Lord. And remember, he's oblivious to all this. He's not even aware that King Saul is a continual enemy of him. And yet God is there giving him favor and blessing him in all that he does. Now, we see in this a, a parallel with the spiritual. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6:12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a cosmic conflict happening, and the world is the battlefield, and the prize are the men of the earth, their minds and their hearts, a spiritual war that spills out into the physical in which you and I get to play a part and actually impact and have effect through taking on the armor of God and entering the fray with our spiritual weapons. And this is what God would have us to do. And we see that Satan is actually behind everything that's happening in the situation that we're reading about. That Saul has this distressing spirit, this evil spirit that's influencing him and inciting him against David. 
You know, the devil has objectives. He's a general, and he has an army of demons and powers that are beneath him, and he commands them. And he's at war with God and with the angels of heaven and with the people of God. And so what is his objective? Well, we're told what his objective is in Isaiah 14, 12, 12 through 15. And we're going to find as we read through that his objective is that he wants worship and he wants the authority or control that God has. And he wants that for himself. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And we see the weakening of the nations happening today in a very powerful way. And we recognize that the devil is behind this. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God or the angels of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will be in control is what the devil is saying. On the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the Most High. I want your job, God, and I'm coming after it. And God says, no, you're not going to take my job. <laughs> Hallelujah. And aren't we glad for that? And then it says in verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, or hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. So this is always encouraging to read of the devil's final destination and of his demise. But we see his objective here in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. If you want to learn more about the devil, take a look also at Ezekiel chapter 28. And the beginning of Job is another window into the devil and his schemes so the devil wants to take the place of God, and he wants to be the king. And so he's going to be opposed to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He wants to prevent the rightful king from taking the throne. And this is why in the Bible we see the Israelite babies killed in Egypt. We see in Persia that the devil raised up this wicked man, Haman, to have the Jews annihilated. And then we also see that Herod, when he finds out uh, that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem, he sends soldiers to kill all the kids two years old and younger. In more recent times, we see the Holocaust. And Hitler was incited by the devil to attempt to annihilate the Jewish people. These are demonic, diabolic plans and schemes of the enemy against God, against his people, and against his anointed one, his son, Jesus Christ. And we see this playing out in our story today as God has promised 
that the Messiah would come from the lineage of Judah, not from Benjamin. And so Saul and the Benjamites are being deposed, and now David and the tribe of Judah are being elevated by God. God is positioning the situation, setting the scene for the eventual coming of his son, King Jesus. Remember that even as Jesus walked the earth, the people would cry out, Jesus, son of David. That was their way of, of calling him Messiah. And so the devil doesn't want this, and even ahead of time is trying to prevent it as the spiritual battle spills into the physical. The devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so we don't celebrate death, friends. We celebrate life. If you've got a thing for skulls and Halloween's your favorite holiday, uh, I would encourage you to shift and celebrate life and even use it as an opportunity to celebrate life. I, I did a chapel one time near Halloween for the kids where we wrapped someone up in toilet paper and they were a mummy on Halloween. But really it was Lazarus. And then they went into the, the prayer room and that was the tomb and then we had our Jesus character come out and say, Lazarus, come forth! And then the mummy comes out of the tomb and casts off the toilet paper. And, uh, and we celebrate life and resurrection. Amen? Amen? Because the devil is into death. And the devil is into horror movies and killing and murder and all of these things. So let's not be fascinated or entertained with those things. He wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And his strategies are simple but effective, and they haven't changed much in the millennia. He wants to divide and conquer. Remember Adam and Eve. He came and tempted them in the garden, and his desire was to get them to sin, to divide them from God. And then, and to divide them from one another. And the reverse of the curse is that, that the friendship relationships and husband-wife relationships would be close to one another as they draw close to God. Two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so our marriages are strong as we keep God at the center of them and remain close to him. And so the devil wants to divide and conquer. He wants to isolate the individual from the flock so that like a lion, he could pounce them. And so he schemes and conspires and he's cunning and he sows discord and he plants thoughts. He tries to get into our heads. And so 2 Corinthians 2.10 says that we are not ignorant of his devices or his evil purposes, his plots and plans to set traps. We need to recognize the attack of the enemy. There's three R's that you can get from, I got this from Pastor Chuck, and I always remembered it. The first one 
is when the enemy attacks, number one, recognize. Recognize the attacks of the enemy. Don't be ignorant of his devices and go, oh, I get what this is. This is an attack of the enemy. He wants to separate me from my friendship or my family relationship or in my marriage or whatever it be. And then when we recognize that this is an attack of the enemy, it's from the spiritual realm. And oftentimes, depending on your sensitivities to the spiritual realm, but oftentimes we're slow to recognize that. We just think it's in the physical and it's in the brain of the other person in my brain. And in the meantime, the devil is having a field day with us. So recognize, oh, this is an attack from the enemy. Second R, resist. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so how do we resist the devil? Well, the devil combats us with lies. Therefore, we must counterattack with truth. We stay in the Word of God, which is the truth of God. And we say, is this lie that I'm believing, or if th- is, this, is this statement, I guess you could say, that I am believing, does it mesh with the Word of God? If the answer is no, then it's a lie, either from yourself or from the enemy. And you can cast it out as a lie and believe what the Word of God says, what truth is. Remember, Jesus resisted the devil in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil, And each time he just quoted scripture, he presented the truth of God's word against the temptation of the devil. So that's one way. Prayer, worship. Notice it it all comes back to truth. The word of God, which we mentioned. Being in fellowship with other believers. Having good communication. When you believe something that, that may or may not be true, rather than just going with the, you know, the negative, talk to the person. But I hate confrontation. I know, it's difficult. But you have to step up and ask the question and present it in a nice way. You know, when you said this, I, I took it this way. I'm sorry for thinking that if I'm totally wrong, but is that true? No, I wasn't thinking that at all. It was actually this. Oh, I'm so glad we cleared that up. And you go on, and the lies of the enemy get squelched. And so communication is huge in the resisting of the enemy. So what are the tactics of the devil? What are his tactics? Well, he first attacks the mind. 2 Corinthians 11.3. It says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, the devil wants to come in and complicate things. He wants to present a way to heaven that is you know, go out, kill Philistines, and bring me their foreskins. (laughs) Go climb a mountain and get the golden feather. Uh, uh, No, it's not that easy. You got to try and figure it out. It's like a puzzle, and and this relationship with Christ is is something that you've got to work at and earn, and God says, no, it's very simple. There's simplicity in Christ Jesus. You're a sinner. God is perfect. You're separated. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead that all who believe might be saved. 
Do you believe? Yes, I believe. Then you're saved. It's real simple. It's real simple. And so I encourage all of us today to maintain the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel in our living, but also the gospel for salvation. And don't let the devil get in and try and convolute things with his lies. And, and know that the plots of the enemy, it's rigged. If we just have faith, can't touch you. Just like David, who's just trusting in God and oblivious. He was even oblivious. He didn't even recognize what was happening yet. He will soon. And so there's more lessons on this, right, as we go along. But for right now, he's just trusting in God. And he's got the protection and the favor of the Lord. Do you believe that as a child of God, you have the protection and the favor of the Lord? Answer that in your mind right now. Do you believe that you have the protection and the favor of God as you've put your faith in him for salvation and you're part of his family? All right, now vocalize it. Do you believe that you have the protection and the favor of God? Yes. Good. Sound like some people were kind of quiet and you're not sure. <laughs> this is so important, friends, because your walk with the Lord, if you truly believe you have the protection and the favor of God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to step out and do things, friends, that you would not do otherwise. But if you don't have the favor and the protection of God, you're going to be apprehensive. He's going to tell you, hey, go over here and do this or go over there and say that and see that guy at the bus stop. I want you to go talk to him. And you're going to go, they look scary. But if you go, you know what? I have the favor and the protection of God. You'll do it. Amen. You'll do it. So how do I know? How do you know if you believe it? When you do it. That's how you know. If you don't do it, well, we had a message on that at our men's conference here that we just got back from. So good. So many good teachings. And so how do you know what you believe by your actions? That's how you know. You can believe you believe something, but then when the rubber meets the road, if you're not willing to step out, you don't really believe it. So do we believe that we have the favor and the protection of God? We can say yes, but let's go out. And if we discover that, well, I don't really believe that, then let's confess that before the Lord and say, God, give me more faith. Help me to trust in you more, to know that the devil has been defeated at the cross, that I'm a child of God, and that nothing will happen to me until it's my time. And if it's your time to go, then the guy at the bus stop, he's, he's going to get you. But you're going to be in heaven, and it was your time to go. If it's not your time to go, you're bulletproof. You cannot die. God will not let it happen. My brother-in-law went to India, and he was serving with a pastor there who told him about a man who was plotting. This Hindu man was trying to kill him because he was a Christian spreading the word of God and casting out demons from people and things like that. And so the man hid in the bushes one night with a knife, and he walked by. He came up behind him to go kill him, and God stopped him. The man fell down and started bawling, and the pastor turns around and goes, what's going on? And he ministered to the man, and the guy got saved. 
It's not your time to go. It's not your time to go. You've got the favor and the protection of God. And you have, you know, speaking of favor, you have his favor in what he's calling you to do. And so you can just do it in the name of Jesus Christ and be bold and, and have this general attitude in life of, I have the favor and protection of God. You're going into an interview for a new job. I have the favor and protection of God. The person at work is trying to, to slander you and undercut you. You have the favor and the protection of God. You can retain your joy and move forward. You're calling me to do what? To go into law enforcement? <laughs> to go into the heart of darkness where the most evil of all evils are? You have the favor and protection of God. So you can do whatever it is he is calling you to do. And you're not going to leave this life unscathed, friends. It's a sinful world. And we get beat up. And we get persecuted. And we could even die. But again, heaven. Amen. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.